and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone who has a product or business idea that wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Phil Barley, the founder of the Theatre Digs Booker. Hello, Phil. Hello. Yeah, hi, Phil. Thanks, guys, for having me. You're very welcome. You know you had to commute very far to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, what, 100 metres down the uh, <laughs> yeah. I work next door. <laughs> so before we go into the interview, so how are you getting on, Kev? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, I've been uh, working at the Ingenuity Centre at Nottingham mostly. Um, it's, it's quite... There's some guys now, they're aware that I do a software business and they're just starting out, so they kind of keep asking me loads of questions every time they walk past, and that's quite interesting. It's, it's good to give a bit of, little bit back, so I've been sort of helping out with their the pricing structure. Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's pricing, marketing, that kind of thing. It's, it's kind of thing. The other thing I'm doing is um, on our product now, we're going to do like a, a free half-hour training session if people buy our annual plan, so we're starting to sort of roll that out. So. Because I think we've, we've thought about more about what our mission is, and our mission is more to spread spread knowledge. Um, so we sort of think about how we can do that and put that into the business. So what have you been up to then, Steve? Or? Uh, so the last episode, I said I was looking for a film studio to record those um, executive briefing courses for Pluralsight. Yeah, I know. And I found one uh, that was in Belper. Okay, yeah, L- yeah. Literally, it's five minutes around the corner from my house. And if anyone who knows Derbyshire, Belper's a really small town. It's not the sort of place you'd think to find a film studio. But yeah. lo and behold, there is one. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. And it's a proper, fully-fledged film studio. Yeah. And I was saying to Kevin last week, actually, so it's, it's a bit strange, a setup. So they've got all the lights and all the screens and all that sort of stuff. But if I want them to film me using their cameras, then they own the rights to the recordings and they have to license it to me, which doesn't work with the no. setup. Yeah. So what I can do is I can take my own camera. You know, I've just got a camera and teleprompter there, which I can take in. And they'll help me set it up and press all the buttons for me. But if I record it on my own kit, then it's... Like and you just hire the space and the engineer. Yeah, and I use all their lighting. Because I was filming nice. in this room. But, you know, you, you're here as you did the interview. You've got people upstairs walking around, people going down the corridor. And it just gets too noisy. And it's too disruptive to the office because you have to move everything around. Yeah. So I figured, let's hire somewhere. And I found it. And, uh, you know, we've done all the test recordings with them. And it's, it's good. It's so, adding to the overhead, though, of your videos, isn't it? It is, but... If they know what setup I'm using and they have it all set up before I go there, I can probably crank out those courses a lot quicker. Okay. So, okay. Well, whilst it Pay is off. an overhead, I can bring that back by doing volume. Yeah, I know you said that you, nice. you struggled with the quality here, didn't you, with the sound? and I recorded the exact... No. I've done one exact briefing course, which I released, which is it was okay. I was quite happy with it. Then I recorded another one in here before Christmas, and I, I just scrapped it. I wasn't happy with the it. The quality is just not quite there. Yeah, because you could hear background noise of people walking down corridors and stuff. <laughs> And if I'm doing one of my normal courses, which is screencasting, if there's noise, I'll just stop, wait for the noise to pass, and I carry on, then I sort it all out in the edit. Oh, you can't But when, do that but video, when you're doing yeah. video, you can't just do that, because you can't have jump cuts of it jumping all over the place. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's tricky with, yeah. I suppose you can get yeah. away with the audio, but not, not video. Not yeah. video, yeah. So that's kind of what I've been working on. Oh, cool. That and my other pro site course, which is going okay. I think okay. really extra to report there. Okay, so we've got a couple of audience questions. So if you have views on this, Phil. Feel free yeah, to yeah, jump chime, in. Chime in. So first one's uh, from Sarah. So I have an idea for what I think will be a great business, but it seems like a huge amount of work, and I'm not sure I can pull it off on my own, especially as a side product. Uh, especially as a side project, how would you tackle this? And I thought I've been saving this question yes. up for when you bring Phil. Oh, in. this is yeah, yeah. This is one for Phil. I think uh, no, it's a trick on really. I think it's it's going to be very hard, isn't it? If it's if it's a huge project, you perhaps you need to. It's not necessarily a side project, is it? Really, if it's a huge project, you might need to think about. Uh, you know how you want to tackle it. You know if it's a large project, you might need to think about bringing partners or getting funding. Or it's it's a different kind of scale, isn't it? I think if you're looking to take on a side hustle, it's got to be a much smaller project, hasn't it, than something really yeah, large. Yeah, she, she never said what what the business was, but I mean. Yeah, I think I think it depends what your aspiration. What, what do you think, Phil? What's yeah, your? Yeah, I th- I think it's uh, everything. Everything can seem huge if you look at the whole thing. So I think you should definitely uh, think about the minimal viable product idea, where you'd literally say is this actually a viable idea? Because you can come up with an idea that you think is a great business and uh, it isn't ultimately. You yeah, know, and you spend yeah. millions trying to get a company out there and no one wants to buy it. So the minimal viable product idea is, especially if it's something like a website and so you can test it on, is to do the absolute basics to make it look 
good enough to get out there. Yeah, and then, I think we say, we say a huge amount of work, but is, yeah, is there something smaller that you could do just yeah. to test the idea? And then it's um, chunking it down, isn't it? It's eating the elephant one spoonful at a time. You're just going, we, actually, I'm just going to do We said that, but some, sometimes there might be certain projects where you, you can't do that and it has to be sort of a huge amount. It's hard to say. Absolutely. We don't know the context of this business, but yeah. And that, that's probably a bit too big for a small side hustle then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps you might need to think about if you want to do a side hustle, it's going to be a completely different project to potentially what this could be. You know, it depends, doesn't it? I mean, we've still been calculated. Did you have a very limited scope on that first when you started? Um, yeah, it was. It was. Ours is quite simple. Sim- I shouldn't say simple products. I don't want to devalue what it is, but it it was a, the initial product that we built was quite straightforward. You know, obviously it's, it's kind of iterated out since then, but it wasn't a huge project when we started. Right. I don't know what, your, what what yours was like, Phil. Was it? No, we were, we were very much boots. I was very much bootstrapping it, so it was a side hustle for me, um, and uh, I had. I had great aspirations and it felt like a huge thing, but I just did what I could do in each week. So I thought, well, actually, I, I can take five hours out and uh, print a load of letters off and put them in envelopes and stamp them and send them. Yeah. And the next week, I could, I could see all of the responses coming back, which there weren't any. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so because yours is quite a large business, so I can see how somebody, perhaps they think, I think perhaps they think of the end goal, yeah. don't they? And they don't think of the steps you need to get to get. So initially, it might be just small steps yeah. to get the ball what rolling. What can you it? do this week to push the idea forward? Because what you don't want to do is spend loads of money or get get uh, investors in, and it not actually be viable. So um, a investors would come in with um, a better offering if you've already proven the concept. Oh yeah, which yeah, you get can't better do deal, until you, you yeah. get some kind of offering mm-hmm. out there. So that minimal viable product idea, I think, is is a way forward choose something that will communicate your idea to an audience and see if they are willing to pay for it yeah I've read that somewhere definitely yeah no. I mean, I've, I've read examples it might have actually been from the what, what was the book that talked about minimum viable products it's the Lean Startup Lean Startup that's one oh, yeah. I think we were talking about you have a product idea so you put a landing page up saying what the product offering is even though you don't have a product and seeing how many people sign up with interest is a yeah. way of kind of testing the market first exactly yeah you can do there's lots of things like that, that you can do or you can certain times you can instead of building a software product you can manually do the work things like there's things you can do isn't there yeah. to test an idea out there's things you can do you know to, to keep it simpler well I've known people who've run simple ideas off of an Excel spreadsheet yeah yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. yeah and there's loads of help out there as well so there'll be local uh, groups and meetups and all that kind of stuff mm. of, of small uh, micro businesses who will have ideas and resources available so it's definitely don't get put off by the grand scheme uh, scale of it yeah yeah I think it's time to sometimes even the biggest ideas start with something small don't they quite yeah. often so yeah yeah don't think too big at the start yeah, that was a good question. So thanks to Sarah for that one. Uh, next question then is by Paul. So on your show, you both talk about product development a lot, but do you think going freelancing or contracting is a valid business idea? And yeah, I'd, I'd I'd say I'd, yes, it is. Yes, I guess. Yeah, I don't, so I've I don't. got quite a few friends who do this. So you know, their business is that they're contractors. You know, they're software consultants. Yeah. And there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's a different type of income, isn't it? So that's more active income. So you're selling your time for money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it's, uh, it's, well, money's money, isn't it? I, I don't have a problem with it. I think freelancing can be, you know, if that's what you want to do, it can be a good life for you. You know, can earn good yeah. money. I mean, as if you're trying to grow a business, then that's probably not the sort of business you can grow as such. Because there's only so many days. Yeah, so yeah, obviously. And the only, the only way you're going to grow that is by putting your day rate up, which you can only take so far. Take yeah. so far. Yeah. And you've only got so many hours in the day. I think that's a problem sometimes with um, exchanging you know, time for money. You're always going to reach that point. But that's not a bad thing, you know. If you can earn good money contracting. Um, well, most differences between we're still being calculated what I do. And I guess even with Theatre Digsbooker as well, that's more passive income. So you're. Yeah, you're, 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 you're putting the work in, but you're trying to get people through the door, and that generates more revenue. But there's a lot more opportunity for the, growth. The revenue is more scalable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the upside. I'm not saying it's passive because obviously there's there's it's not nothing's passive, is it? Really, obviously you've still got to put the the work in up front, haven't you? But obviously the the money's there's less limits on your you know with contracting you're limited to the amount of hours that you can work whereas yeah. there's no there's no necessarily not there's less limits with the product business isn't there it, it, was, it, was, it was originally part of my idea to do kind of what I'm doing and supplement with contracting as well I just never got around to the contract <laughs> never got around to it yeah but, I mean the thing that kind of puts me off contracting is that you 
tend to have to go where the work is. So I've got some friends who live around Nottingham, Leicestershire area. Yeah. Yeah, they have to commute to London every day because that's where their contracts are. Or they have to stay away. Well, some some contracts you do remember. Usually there's like lower rates, aren't they? And, yeah. Um, it, there's probably less opportunities, isn't there, than being on premise? But but yeah, back to Paul's question is certainly a valid business idea. It's just different. It is, yeah. And and maybe even think of your freelancing skills and contracting as the product, so that. If for now you are the person doing the contracting, can you eventually outsource elements of it to become separate from the actual contracting? So sort of see what the value is that you're bringing and then see if there's a way of automating that in some way. Yeah, I mean, that's in some kind cases, of, that's yeah. just not possible. That's, that's kind of like what I did to a certain extent because I took the work that I was doing as a, as a freelancer and then obviously as a structural engineer and then thought, how could I turn that into a product? Yeah. And that's kind of, my products have come from that kind of work. So it, it can happen like that, can't it? Kind of it reminds me of something that I read. There's this, there's this guy, I think he's a software developer or, or some kind of support guy maybe, and he managed to automate most of his job just by writing a load of scripts that he ran. Nice. So he just sat there running the scripts and then doing nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite nice, yeah. I actually did that in a, a PR office I used to work at. I was paid to rescale lots of images to be in the right size, uh, pixel, number of pixels and sizes and that kind of stuff. And no one in the company knew that, that Photoshop basically does that for you. You just have to run a pro- little program within it. Yeah. Um, and so what was took the person before me all day to do a piece of work, I would just run that script in the first 15 minutes and sort of... And then just sit there looking busy. Look busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah run yeah. my own business. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that was where my start, side hustle began. Yeah. So that's, that's a good thing about when you when you run your own business, you can be efficient like that. Can't, you, can't, you don't have to sit there pretending to work. You know, you can actually do valuable stuff all the time, can't you, when it's your own business? Well, one, of my, one, yeah. of, one of my bugbears is when you ask someone, How's it going? Their, their stock response is busy. Yes. <laughs> good, good, busy, or just busy, busy? <laughs> yeah, Probably busy, busy. <laughs> and generally, it's a sign of failure, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> no, it's all very calm and successful, isn't it? What the ultimate aim for. Okay, so let's uh, let's go on to our interview. Yeah. And chat with yeah. Uh, have a chat with Phil. So thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. So Phil Barley is the CEO, director, proprietor. What I keep calling myself founder at the moment. Founder. founder. Yeah. I don't like that, yeah. So yeah. Phil is the founder of Theatre Digs Booker, which can be found at theatredigsbooker.com. There's a link in the show notes if people want to go and check it out. So thank you very much for coming along. Yeah. So I guess the best way of starting the interview is if you sort of tell us about you, sort of Phil the person. Yeah. Your background. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I... Uh, I as, as a mature student, became uh, an, an actor, studied performing arts, um, because I was when I left school, I was a bit directionless, as a lot of people are. Uh, I went into the motor trade and became a, uh, a mechanic, and then a tea tester, and then it, uh, went got the great position of selling Mercedes for a couple of years. Um, and I was a twenty, I was youngest Mercedes salesman in the country at the time, and uh, okay. uh, driving a brand new Mercedes at the age of twenty, which was. Pretty, uh, That's pretty nice. Uh, pretty, pretty cool for your friends there, about when you yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. My friends all hated me a lot. And it was free, and you know, it was like, this is nuts. And also, if it was a nice weekend, I'd just say, "Oh, by the way, can I just borrow the SLK this week?" And I'd just pop down to the coast. Oh, wow, that's uh, really cool, yeah. Get the latest convertibles, you know. So that was a lovely, that was a lovely time. But I realised that um, that was going to be my life for the next. 30 odd years because there was a guy ahead of me uh, older than me at the company who I was being modelled on or how I I was my (laughs) job my role was modelled on I should say Um, and uh, I was trying to uh, trying to become him in the eyes of the management Uh, and I realised that wasn't who I wanted to be in that was not your that was not your dream to be that person I didn't didn't want to be uh, uh, be a car salesman for the rest of my life um, so, uh, but I, I'd been inter- interested in music and singing and performing for years. I got into the Amdram scene and I made this big leap when I reached 25, um, uh, helped by a number of catalysts locally. Um, but I moved to London uh, to follow this dream of becoming a, a West End performer. I knew I wanted to perform in the West End and I knew I wanted to be in a big band or sing with a big band, uh, but I didn't know quite what that meant so I'll yeah. take myself for three years to London went to New York did some studying there as part of the exchange program and came back I went straight off to work on a cruise ferry working out of Portsmouth oh, to wow. Bilbao mm. two, ven- two ports over five months over the Bay of Biscay which is of course everyone's dream to work on a, <laughs> a, a car and truck ferry uh, <laughs> yeah okay oh it's not like a big cruise ship and 
It was all, big, all the and it was, and and just before the year before we joined, was it the the Pride of Le Havre um, capsized in the port because they sort of forgot to shut right. the, um, the doors. doors. One of the yeah. the doors. So uh, and also just before we got on, uh, the News of the World did an expose on the um, the life and uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll on the Pride of Bilbao. Uh, and uh, they found um, they put an undercover um, reporter on the ship, and they yeah. found them all doing drugs off each other and um, oh yeah. getting absolutely hammered, and you know, uh, jamming water tight doors open, and all this kind of weird thing. So, <laughs> I was, just as I joined, I was expecting this incredible life. Uh, okay, instead, yeah, they just yeah. locked everything down. We were we were breathalyzer. We got on the ship. We weren't to have any alcohol on us. It was a completely dry ship. So five months of being stuck at sea and not being able to have a drink was oh, okay. unbelievable for me. Having just left university and been, you know, as a young person, like yeah, like probably a bit of a bias. Yes, into exactly. It. Oh, well, twenty-eight. <laughs> so that was, that was that, and then went on to another ship. And um, the third day of that cruise, uh, it was a proper cruise ship. This one, but it was kind of north. Uh, uh, you can cut all this out as a background. But no, no, it's, yeah. good, it's good to know. It's good to know the background the, uh, where you came from. We were going to be around the UK and, the, and sort of up into um, the Arctic Circle and that kind of thing. And I just joined as a singer, but the third day into the cruise, the cruise director got very drunk and threw glasses at the customers, the uh, passengers. Okay. Uh, oh. So she got kicked off. Uh, I got called into the office at eight o'clock in the morning saying, do you want the job? Um, and it's doubly money and you go from the shared cabin below the water level to the officer's cabin which, with your own cabin boy essentially oh, wow. and yeah. it also wasn't a very hard decision to make so I took that job expecting to get replaced any moment because I had no managerial experience or anything like that and ended up being the uh, entertainment manager for nine months Okay. Which was that, that, that really was fake it till you make it. It was, yeah. it was full on fake it till you make it. We had no idea what we were doing. Uh, I hated it, by the the um, the uh, other senior officers because it takes nine years to get to that level. Does it? Was, yeah. You just got days. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. You got lucky. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, no. So they didn't get any give us any help. And then I came back from that and got a actually I was on the on the cruise when I got a call. I was in the Arctic Circle, I think. When I got a call <laughs> from. Um, the Rat Pack uh, in in the West End to say we'd like to see you as a recall for for Dean Martin in the, in the Rat Pack. For anyone who doesn't know, that's the story of Frank Sinatra, Samuel Davis Jr., and Dean Martin, um, and it is a, a it's a West End show that um, depicts uh, well, like one night of this time when these three big stars, movie stars and recording stars, were holding court in Vegas, where they just did this kind of post dinner show. Um, with a big band and singing songs and mainly telling jokes and being lewd and rude and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. A bit of dance and all that kind of stuff. And then getting more and more drunk and then doing it again later that night and that kind of stuff. And it was the equivalent of like George Clooney and Brad Pitt being able to sing, dance and bring all their mates in. So yeah. you get a ticket to the show, you'd have a meal, you watch the show and then another five major stars would suddenly appear on stage and start telling jokes and that kind of stuff. So that was, a, that was an amazing time in history and this show depicted that. And I only mention that because it's, that was then the next 10 years of my life. I came back and got uh, the understudy role of Dean Martin in the West End, which then became the alternate role. So I did it twice a week until I ended up taking it over and we went on tour around, around Europe or around America. Um, wow. Did all cool. incredible... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that was it. Was that your big break then, was it? The... Uh, so, well, it seems like a big break because you go, well, I wanted to be with a big band and I wanted to be in the West End, but um, I uh, never expected to do both at the same time. But okay. there I was with this amazing big band on the West End and and around the world. It's, it's incredible. And, and doing kind of private gigs like on the, uh, in, on, on the islands... Um, where there's just Aston Martins and you get flown in for that kind of stuff. And we did a we did a uh, forty minute gig where the whole band were flown into Monaco, and we performed at the Café de Royal, which is the, the wow. hotel the Hotel de Paris, which is right on Casino Square. Hmm. Um, and we were saying, what, what is this all about? No one was listening, and they'd spent tens of thousands on us to be there. So yeah, that was a that was a kind of wonderful and very unpredictable part of my life. And I was pre kids and pre marriage and all that kind of stuff, and just having a lovely time, mm. enjoying myself and going around. Um, but the, my my kind of final performance uh, contract was um, a show called Beauty and the Beast, which is the Disney um, stage adaptation of the film. Yeah, and we did a nine month tour uh, around the UK. 
Uh, and I was Lumiere, which is the um, candlestick who mm. sings Be Our Guest, for anybody that uh, knows that. And it's an amazing role. It's great fun, very camp. And I was dressed in skin-tight lame and had these big flames. If, if our daughter should be freaking uh, out. No, like, she yeah. that, can't I? Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. I'm not well So good. Oh, well, actually, most kids these days see the uh, live, the live uh, action version, don't they? They don't know mm. the cartoon at all. Oh, okay. And it's Ewan McGregor in the film. Um, but, yeah, that was a great time. But um, I, I was... Whilst I toured before, this was the first time I really saw the pain of what touring is like in the UK. So uh, there was 60 of us in a company of Beauty and the Beast. We were on tour for nine months and a week in each venue. And um, I turned up first day of rehearsal and was given this list, uh, well, this, this pile of lists, of digs lists by the company manager, because that's what you do in the industry, because you have to book your own accommodation when you go away on tour. Okay, they, well, they just give so you a list then, do they? They just give you a list. And you have to go and, and book your own Some of them are printed off and some of them are in an email format and they're in Word and PDF and Excel. And all. there's no way of telling what anything is good. It's just literally a name, a, a two sentences, if you're, that, if you're lucky, and a telephone number. Right. And you had to try and book your own accommodation. Any other industry, you would, if you're working away from home, you'd, you'd normally get a hotel hmm. or you'd get the, the, the value of a hotel in your... Um, yeah, budget yeah. and your food and that kind of stuff and per diems in the UK in the theatre industry you get a touring allowance and back then it was about £240 it's gone up a little bit since then but not much um, and you have to find all your accommodation uh, and your food and your travel between your accommodation and the venue each each night if you're not within walking distance okay. for this £270 so it means that you you have to go to private homes of people who can let a room out for okay. between £60 and £120, roughly, something like that, yeah. um, a week, which is normally what, you know, these days Airbnb would let a, a room out per night, you know, yeah. it's like it's, you would not be able to survive under commercial rates. So you're on tour, you're trying to do eight shows a week for nine months, stay healthy, stay stay in a performance mode and do a, like this incredible performance and entertain all these three-year-old g- g- girls who've come in there for on the uh, bell dresses and uh, <laughs> princess dresses um, and book and find and monitor your own accommodation and all that kind of stuff yeah it's like it's like you manage all of that haven't you all of the yeah living yeah. basically got to sort out your living accommodation yeah, and, and food and travel it, and everything it is and my first experience of that was we were in rehearsals and I was actually taking over there was, it was an, uh, taking over a, a role they were, uh, they'd already gone out the year before and they are only replacing some of the roles the people who didn't want to stay so they're, they're, most of the cast already knew what they were doing. So I was turning up to rehearsals, desperately trying to learn the role. Half the other room already knew what they were doing. And they were sitting there on their phones. I was like, what are they doing? And of course, in, in any break time, any, anyone got a moment between being, being called for rehearsal, they were on the phone booking their digs right. off these lists. Okay. So by the time I finished the day, I'd pick up the list and I'd go, right, okay, where shall I start? Right, the first week, we're in wherever it is, Brighton. I'll start calling the list. Same order that everybody else did from the top down. Again, just because it's an alphabetical order. And that first person is irate because 50 people have called them already today asking mm, yeah. for the same week and they've yeah. got booked out on the first call. So they're annoyed. And then uh, and then I'm annoyed and I'm getting more stressed and I get, get the further I get to get down the list, the more painful it is. And then I'm now worrying about it. And that was just the first bit. And that really came to a head when we were in um, uh, one town, which I'll leave nameless for now, but there were only eight digs on the theatre's digs list. So these lists are produced by each theatre and they should be enough to receive the visiting companies. They should be able to house the people that are coming to perform for them. Um, And they're not. And this one had six on them. So obviously they were gone instantly. And that week I ended up having to rent a a flat, um, which wasn't a a holiday letter. It was actually on a letting agency. But I just said, look, do you want a week's rent or not? And I literally just had to buy some sheets and sleep on a mattress on the floor Uh, because that was always there. It was just truly horrible yeah uh, but the crew had to they, they all bought tents because it was cheaper to buy tents and to sleep in the field than it was to go and try and stay it's in probably not ideal is it not ideal <laughs> they had a great time but we actually ended up I mean, probably a laugh but yeah, yeah. after a day it probably was they had a slippy thin, slide doesn't it yeah they had a slippy slide it was awesome like, if you're touring during the winter that'd be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brutal, yeah. but actually we ended up having injuries and, and show stops that week because people were all so tired and stressed and not getting the rest they needed 
that it actually proved to be a bit of a problem. They just couldn't get, yeah, you just couldn't function in, yeah. in that way. And you know, it's a, it is a big ask to be away from, from home, travel on your days off, and do eight shows a week and all those kind of things. It's, so it's, it's good that you kind of live the problems that every your product solves, you know. Well, that's it, and it does lead on, yeah. So, so I finished that tour and I said, look, uh, this is obviously something wrong. All the time I've been doing this, I've been Googling a solution, there's been nothing out there. But can I, and I had a friend who was a web developer, um, can we, can you help me build something that does this, you know? Let's put them online so at least people can see photos and give them you know, one standard view of it all. Um, and that's where we started. And we're, he's actually a climber and we were um, in Fontainebleau in the back of his van uh, after a day's climbing and he opened his laptop and said, right, okay, what does it look like? And that was the beginnings of Theatre Diggs Booker, um, which uh, started off very, very slowly, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So it was a side hustle. I was still auditioning. I was still going off and um, I think I did another... Um, so what, what, what year did you build the first kind of... Pro- the first one was uh, 2010. Okay. 2010 was, yeah. the, was when we became incorporated. So that was June. And I think it was around about uh, January that... Uh, uh, yeah, it was it was um, spring, so March. We started the first bits of code. So up until then, been writing letters, gathering all. I had all these digs lists. So as a good place to start, I got loads of people I could write to. Okay, saying, yeah, would yeah. you be willing to go online? Have your have your yeah, you're listed on our listed website. Online, yeah. yeah, and then make it a bit easier. And we still got some of those hosts on now who joined us on our first mail shot, which is okay, fantastic. That's cool. But we've gone from there to last year, processing more than three million pounds worth of bookings through the site and wow. within the last year went from one employee to um, six full-time equivalent uh, uh, employees on payroll and we'll go up to another um, we're on target for hit to pass the four million mark this year and we'll have to bring more staff so in between that there was a real kind of classic um, long tail uh, growth yeah, hockey stick isn't it yeah so remember when, yeah. when I first met you it's actually the first week I met Kevin in the co-working space yeah you know, I, was, I was literally on a desk on the same row of desks as you in the co-working yeah. space so you've gone from be- you being there by yourself to would you say six people six six full times yeah mm-hmm. uh, it's four, four full times and then uh, four part times uh, on, on a payroll now and then suddenly I had to realise that last week that no one's been on a pension so I had to do backdated pensions that's something else you have to take into consideration oh, okay, okay. so it's yeah. been a huge pop, pop, pop learning. A company now yeah a huge <laughs> learning curve it's just been uh, for a start it's lovely to be able to provide a solution to what is essentially my community the, the acting and the, 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 the performance the theatre yeah. world um, and to see this um, uh, become a disruptor within the industry so we mm, kind of yeah. came up with a new idea no one had really done it properly or done it as, as an idea of a booking site some people had listed but they were sort of dead sites and we've come in and completely revolutionised the way that tours happen and now we used to go to guests and hosts and try to get them individually and now we've progressed to such a stage where the um, we're very fortunate in that the tours themselves, so even, even the, yeah, the production companies like Cameron Macintosh and, um, and the National Theatre and the Royal Shakespeare Company come to us, we're asking for what we, are, what we offer as a tour code for their mm. individual tours, mm. uh, which gives them all of their venues on one page on any device. And okay. they can just see all the reviews and all the what they want to choose, and it's all in order, and they can know what they've booked and what they haven't booked, and it's just completely different to what it used to be. Yeah, it's no nice. more calling these hosts. Yeah, no, it sounds so much better than just a list of yeah, yeah. names, basically, isn't so it? How yeah. does it? How does a revenue model work for that? Is it is it the uh, people hosting their house, their houses <laughs> that sort of pay a fee, or is it or do you uh, collect money from the actors who use the website? So if. Um, uh, my accountant was uh, answering this question. It'd be saying, "Well, we should be uh, taking money from everybody because that's what everybody else does, and that's yeah. how you get, how you make some money." Um, and the reason I'm it, my my work isn't uh, automated uh, is because we only do it one way, which is to take a commission from the host okay. who receives the uh, booking, um, and only when it's successful. So we had, for example, we had a couple of thousand pounds worth of commission, 20,000 pounds worth of bookings for one tour uh, suddenly be refunded um, right. the other day because the, the tour got cancelled uh, uh, and the producer, yeah. producer yeah, went bust. So we, we had that in the bank and suddenly had to give that away again and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that there are moments of that you think that it's not the best model, but all other, industri- all other booking models 
because uh, we started around about the same time as Airbnb. And just to give you a size of uh, a, a, <laughs> yeah. an example they of slightly, scale. Are they, are they slightly bigger than you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah just slightly bigger. Yeah. Slightly bigger than you. Uh, we, we did three million pounds worth of bookings uh, in 2018. Um, and it's about 16,000 bookings or something like that. We process successful bookings. They have 700,000 check-ins around the world every day. Mm. And the mind just boggles at how they can even do that. It's incredible. And we did start around about the same time, but we knew I was always going to be a niche market model. We were always going to only... um, You just concentrate on on your particular vertical, which I think think that's quite important, actually, because I think, um, you know, like the product that I do, it serves a very, you know, what you call a vertical, where it's just one particular niche isn't it rather yeah. than a horizontal which would be everything you know which was yeah. kind of what airbnb is isn't it yeah and they do brilliantly however the if you're a touring theater professional and you've got nine months worth of uh digs to book for yourself you uh can't pay up front for those that accommodation yeah and in most cases booking.com and whoever oh, they you ask normally for have to either pay for the whole amount or you have to authorize the, f- the full amount and as soon as you get to that point where you're um Three three weeks worth of bookings in, you suddenly you go to make the next booking, and your card gets declined because all of those authorizations okay. for each yeah, week's yeah. worth of stay has been taken. So if you're booking, say, like a four month tour, then all of those payments are basically gradually processed as the tour progresses. Yeah. Whereas the way we do it is we take ten percent from the guest at the time they book, and then they pay the the host on arrival, and at the end of their stay, as long as everything's been successful, we keep the deposit from the the host essentially so rather than give okay. that to the host so, so most most of the transaction is between the the actor yeah and, and the host but, yeah. you, but you have that initial commission yeah so we take it okay. up front and, and and run everything that way so so, so, so what oh, sorry, so that's it. What, what would be the motivation for someone to list their property on theater dicks and not just airbnb then or, or would they sometimes do both not a lot of them these days uh, do both and um we lose some people to airbnb and we gain some people from and it and it's it is a case of what's what's right for is you is it because they're people that want to help out other theater professionals is it or, yeah, that's, or they've that's got a skin in the our, game or our push yeah we say uh you could just earn money from your room and have anybody come and stay and they you know have not much control over it and you know, all that kind of stuff and that's fine and that's that's what airbnb's model is all about they, their focus is very much how much can i earn from my property hmm. Whereas our model is very much how much can we support my local theatre or the theatre industry or these young people going through the country trying to stay healthy and that kind of stuff. We focus on the welfare of the um, the touring companies as, as much as we can and try to sort of have a holistic view of if you're not worried about it and they're nice and you've got someone to talk to if, it, if they don't go well and uh, you've got a support network there, that's going to take a lot of the stress out, out of you. That was ordered was traditionally associated with touring. So it makes so it very can, kind yeah. of community driven, then, doesn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. So as a host, you get you get to make some money, which is great. But um, uh, the theatre guests are often in the house during the day when you're at work, and they're out in the evening. So they're really low maintenance theatre uh, house guests. Plus, they're touring all the time, so they get really good at mm. looking after themselves. They're not high maintenance tourists mm. who are constantly asking for what's this and where's that. Yeah. And can you point me in the right direction there? Generally speaking, quite low maintenance, and of course, then they've also got they're doing a show, so they're really quite excited. And they're, they're kind of fun people to be around. Massive generalisation, some aren't, but you know, <laughs> generally they're quite interesting to people. And there's there's a lovely. We just recorded some nice interviews over um, over Christmas, uh, which we're going to start using in our publicity, which is just hosts and guests talking about the, each other and their relationships and their mm. their experiences of touring and what it's like to be a host, what it's like to be a guest, and so much of it was just. They have this, uh, the guests don't want to be in a hotel for a whole year whilst they're touring. It's very uh, impersonal, very in- inhuman. You want to yeah. feel like you can cook for yourself. You can, yeah. you know, put your feet up can... in the sofa, have a chat and be very informal. And that's what these hosts do. They really understand that. And they offer this home away from home, especially for younger people. Um, and the, the guests uh, give the hosts a real... A sense of being part of something. Mm. So a lot of them get to see the shows, get them to they get to hear them warming up in the morning. They love. Say, actually, are the actors allowed to give complimentary tickets away? Do they, they, do they have like an allocation of tickets that they can just give away? Comps are very hard to get these days, <laughs> <laughs> but they do have um, house seats at reduced prices. Is a lot of what the, a lot of the time what people yeah. say. So yeah. they'll be able to say, oh, "I can get you, you know, ones right in the middle of the stalls for the, you know, the yeah. cheapest price." So yeah. they, they get a good deal. Some get comps. But uh, I certainly want to advertise that as a way of yeah. become a to get your free tickets yeah. here. But if you're if you're like listing your property as a way to bring you know 
for my fears are in then obviously you, you might want to go and see their shows as well as so it comes come, come to this kind of whole yeah. sort of cycle yeah it really does and then you, and then you kind of see the progression you see these hosts following the progression of these careers and they come back you know year on year as they go through these roles these different shows but their their position or their status within the shows might be growing and growing um, to the point where they're, they're on telly every now and again or they're I saw, you know you, I saw you on the adverts and uh, kind of be, yeah. so, you're helping out somebody like somebody famous could have stayed yeah. at your at your house or whatever yeah, yeah exactly uh, but they won't be famous if they're staying at your house because that's the other thing there's a hierarchy within it so you're not going to probably when they're uh, starting out though you yeah you won't get Terry McKellen staying at your house yeah, so don't get your hopes up if you don't want to be that'd be quite cool though that'd be quite cool I mean, he is lovely. I mean, the thing I'm interested in is like, how how did you get the idea to build a website or get into what what made you think I want to be? You know, obviously you're a performer. What yeah. thought? Why? You know, why would you want to get into sort of the digital technology side of? Well, I've got to say, a massive underestimate uh, underestimation of what was involved. So, a blissful ignorance. Uh, and and willful ignorance. Really, you thought you thought, oh, this is going to be easier than it actually was, or yeah. it. so I so a I had a mate who could do it for free, um, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. It'd be nice and easy, great. Uh, and then I thought it would run itself once I created a platform that hosts could register oh, on and yeah. guests could book on. I could just walk away and it would just be this yeah. amazing... Like sort of passive... Because I think you did mention that you'd read the... Was it the four-hour work? Four-hour work week was a big influence in this and... Um, did you read that before that you... Or as I you were... I think as you were I had... Music? Yes, I think I had at the time... This, a little while ago now, I think I'd read that before. I had some other ideas about other bits and pieces and that haven't really worked out and then this this was the thing I thought... Yeah, because I think that, that's right. kind of like what the four-hour work is all about, building passive income, isn't it? Building, yeah. using uh, technology to build kind of passive income is that what you, is that your original intention was it to build it was, something that automate could... it so, so that because also the other thing that you remember is acting is a really um, uh, it's transient, insecure you say, or... and transient yeah, yeah really good yeah. yeah so you might be the you know you might be playing in the west end I, I had one one performance I came back from and uh, one, you know, one of them was at this uh, Monaco kind of life where you're kind of living this life of a king and you're getting fed lobster and that kind of thing. <laughs> Another one, I, I recorded uh, a radio show with the Metropole Orchestra. So it's, I think it was a 45-piece orchestra for their, for for, Amst, uh, for Dutch Radio 2. And, it, you know, again, treated like a king and you, you were playing with these incredible world-class musicians. You feel incredible. You get back off the um, off the plane and you get on the tube and you go home and you're unemployed. And then you're going back to an audition the next yeah, day yeah, with a load of load of school leavers who have never performed in anything, and you're at the bottom of the pile with everybody, you know. And it's just on merit on that day if you're any good for that role. Is it? Yeah. It's so it's a really quite tough. Brutal, sounds quite brutal, doesn't it? It is. And it's I wanted some kind interviews. of yeah. It is endlessly giving you and there's no feedback as well. So sometimes, especially with the musical theatre, it's very um, disrespectful in that you will do days and days of prep for a role and you've been called in five, six, maybe even ten times in lots of recalls, seeing different people each time, learning almost the entire score, mm. and then you don't get a call. Mm. It's not that they say, thanks, Phil, for coming in, but you haven't got it. At the time I was auditioning anyway, when my change now, but I don't think it has. You just, you get, there's no, it goes quiet. And there's no thanks, there's no recall fees. In, in proper acting, uh, when I went to do a, a, a RADA actress, she... That would get called in once and they, then the, the cast director would say I'm really sorry but they want to see you again just to put you up against the other person just to make sure they've got the right other person and then they get the job or they don't but there's, I'm really sorry you didn't get it but in musical theatre it was really hard so I wanted one solid thing that I could um, tie my life to like I said, I've got some income that can yeah. stay the was same this, it was, so this is like uh, obviously I'll podcast is about side hustle so initially yeah. it was it was it a side hustle project is that how you saw it as additionally income in addition to your performing gigging, carry on performing auditioning getting into shows and all the time i could just go oh, i could just check their website and take a bit more money if yeah I want to. it's kind um, of that might be useful to say people that are doing freelance gigs that aren't that are a bit transient you know and perhaps they could look at building up a product on the side as well yeah and, and that could be something that could potentially your, something bigger it's good for your sanity once you've got past that first hump of getting going if it isn't if you're not planning on making it massive, but it's a a stream of income, I think it keeps you sane because you are then 
you you have something to ha- latch onto each month. You can go, ah, oh, yes, all right, I've got fourteen auditions, or I have I put fourteen pictures together mm. for uh, the customers, and they haven't bought. But at least I've got this thing. So I do think that's the, a way of sort of. Do you, it's really risky, isn't it? Doing same, more different yeah, things, different. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and uh, but it never worked out that way. It ended up being, um, you know, they do say uh, entrepreneurs are people who give up a forty-hour a week job to do 80 hours don't they? <laughs> yeah uh, I, th- I think it's all because you said you read the four hour work week and we all kind of joke a little bit about this and I think um, I think it could be a bit boring I think doing the four hour work week I don't know what do you feel like well that? yeah he's very clear isn't he he says we got you your the nature abhors a vacuum you will get drawn into other things you're not going to just going to sit there twiddling your thumbs so create something positive to fill your time with yeah yeah if you're Whatever not going to be, be working yeah. and I think I, I didn't do that and I ended up just spending all my time and, and now it is a full-time job for six people six real people. yeah yeah there's so always there's still there's still um freelancers and people around the around the country that work for it as well so there's loads of people 13 of us are all involved on a, on a mm. weekly basis capacity, yeah. keep it going and it's you know there is a point at which i can see myself stepping back and the more the quicker i do that the better because i as you heard i don't have any managerial training i haven't worked in a structured environment I, you know, worked on a cruise ferry. Uh, <laughs> that does not. Go. And I worked as a, you know, a Lame gold candle. Now people probably expect objectives and performance reviews and performance reviews. Yeah, I'm only just starting to learn about that now, and this is the pain I'm just experiencing. I suppose you, you grow into the role as you go, though, do you? Or is it, do you feel like it's a role that you want to do, though? You know, do you want to grow the? Would you rather be a big or small business, or what's your aspirations, or is it? Yeah, you know, I, well, I think, I think what I always wanted was to there to be a true solution to the problem. I really wanted to be able to so face... So you were passionate about the problem then, or solving yeah, the problem, yeah. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to be able to face a theatre professional in the eye and say, um, you used to have to do it like this, you now do it like this, is it better? And they say, thank you very much, you have solved our problem. Yeah. And I get that occasionally, but I, I think... think I'm I, I do think that's... I think it's, it's good to sort of like create real value in the world, isn't it? Or to do something meaningful, isn't it? Or have purpose, isn't it? You know? Definitely. Uh, and um, yeah, that's... I think if you can attach the... It's not, not said all about the money, isn't it? It's more like the value or, you know, your values or are you solving... You know, do you believe in what you're doing or... Exactly. Getting out of bed in the morning going, what well, I believe in what I am uh, producing and people get real value out of it. So, yeah. I, so I don't see it as £3 million worth of bookings. I see it as that's a lot of... I can't remember, some fit, silly figure like 300,000 nights of successful sleeps or something like that. that we've, yeah, you know, so it's, instead of people sleeping in tents, that's yeah, sleeping in proper yeah, gear. Yeah, and all bookings, instead of having to phone someone and, you know, a lot of our bookings come in after the show closes, which is a good time to sit there after the show, have a pint and book your next month's worth of, um, of, of digs. digs. You can yeah. just do it from your phone, a couple of clicks and you're done, you know. It's made all that so much easier. You haven't, you're not desperately trying to speak to people and the hosts aren't missing out on bookings because they're missing a call all those things that there's another support network we've got a full-time support team who deal with call fallout from things like the host has locked me out how do i get in i don't know we can't help you with that but you know <laughs> someone hasn't paid or i left my keys screwdriver <laughs> on the lock yeah <laughs> yeah um, breaking yeah we, you know and there is a support network whereas theaters don't have the don't have the facility or, or, or the capabilities mm. to do that you know they, they, they struggle full time yeah to provide that facility yeah. you know like a full yeah so if i'm a so if i'm a guest and I'm, i know that i'm going to be on like a three-month tour yeah and i know that i'm going to need say six places to stay yeah how the booking process work? Would you go in and then sort of say search by postcode for those each individual places, or can you like basically put the itinerary of your tour in there and then? Well, yeah, the you, system suggests it's one of two ways. So if if you are part of a um, legitimate, uh, I, 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 legitimate, are part of a tour that we already uh, know about, and uh, we ask the company managers or the producers to contact us to, with uh, with their itineraries um then yes you'll have a uh, your that show will have a tour code mm. and the company manager would give that tour code to everybody involved with the show so all the lighting and music and sound and actors and dancers and everybody um and uh, they would enter that code um as a guest and basically they go to their tours tab and all of that itinerary will be, be there in front of them so they'd have literally okay. next week you're at bradford alhambra and next the week after that you're edinburgh and that kind of thing and then you just click on that uh venue stop a tour stop as we call it and that all of the um, dates and uh, and your venue will have been um, 
inputted for you. So you, you, you haven't got to start putting dates in yourself. You just know, I, I can now see all of the places that are available that week for that theatre. So and then I can refine that by what, what's So what's if you there. wasn't too fussy about where you're staying, you literally could just go down the page and say, well, I have that one there, that one there, that one there, that one there, go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wish it was that easy because you have to go into each one and press and say, can I, can I book with you, please, and with the show. But by the time you've copied and pasted your message, and you've done that, you know, people can do it really, really quickly. Mm. And we just introduced a new payment scheme, uh, payment system as well. So we're not just using PayPal. And that's been a big headache, but it's meant it's given us a lot of options okay. moving forward, okay. which is great. Um, and then if you haven't got a, a tour code, uh, say, say you're just tra- traveling by yourself and you haven't, haven't contacted us yet, but you are in a, you are in a show, um, you just search by theater normally or a venue. So you could search by Birmingham. But um, you can, most cases, there's a venue that you're going to be working with. So um, we'd, um, we, we pre-fill the search uh, criteria with that. For that venue, You can yeah. then see um, a, a, a map with all of the venues, that, uh, all the digs that are within 20 miles of that uh, venue. And then you start to refine down from there. You can, um, you've, got, you've got a filter section, which then gives you the option to only stay with living with a host, um, and, you know, just staying in a room in a house or the whole property, um, bed and breakfast and that kind of stuff. And you can even say, I want it to only be within five miles. I can restrict the pricing. Let's uh, give it a maximum um, okay, weekly price, cool. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like what you'd expect from a normal search engine kind of situation, but with the spe- specific focus on it being around theatres. Yeah. Most people want to be quite close to the theatre. So we pre-fill yeah. that for them. You know. So it sounds like you've got an exciting future. What's your what's your sort of things for the future then? Are we allowed to say or what? You yeah. Well, um, we, we as I just mentioned, it's kind of got some, some pain process. So we 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 did the uh, rework model. So um, the people that met right base camp mm. uh, wrote wrote their I think their first book was called Rework. I know there's their first book, but it's, it was really good. Really I think good. It was book. their second book. Was actually, it the second? I'll let you off there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then recently, and after that, they wrote. Uh, it doesn't have to be crazy at work, doesn't? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the rework book does say only promote only grow at the point your pain points don't just think oh I, I probably need someone there in six months time so I'll hire someone now that's great if you can if you've got loads of seed funding but the chances are if you're bootstrapping yeah, you can't yeah, do that. It's, it's tricky so isn't it so just hire the pain point so we did that six months ago and suddenly grew the team but now we're realising having just lost someone today actually at a key point um, we, we are we don't have systems in place that are appropriate for our level of HR um, numbers okay. so we don't have we we've got we got contracts and company handbooks together but we don't have any kind of structural process training plans uh, one-to-ones appraisals or anything like that so we're now going backwards and f- backfilling all of our lack of skills with courses and books and consultancy and, yeah and all it's, that kind of it's stuff. very hard i mean obviously i'm not that level yet but um yeah i think i assume once you introduce more people you're introducing a lot more complexity aren't you into the business than if it's just you know you it and a, if it's you and a, a bunch of contractors that's perhaps different to you and a full-time team is definitely it? i've only had contractors for the first you know seven eight years and then suddenly we now we're here at this stage where we've got payroll employees and i mentioned you know I forgot about the the pension thing and suddenly we've got three months worth of back pay there to take care of and uh, we realised that we didn't um, my wife works for the company and she hasn't got a contract for employment and that's like we should probably do that you know, there's, mm. you know what is a job description and all those kind of things and, and it is infinitely uh, more complex and more difficult with uh, employees yeah, you, you have to have them and they're brilliant and it's I, I love I mean that's team. something I, I, I do worry about at the moment because it's just me and my business partner we've got a contractor who does customer support so yeah. there's only a team of three but I'm thinking that at some point if we were to grow or, or whether to even actually grow at all you know that's that, it and that's, that's, that's what they the, say the you know. is, is should we just stay at the level or address like we're now perhaps but a little bit more so but not it's hard to know because you or? can probably answer, uh, be a decent solution for your number of customers and not grow Whereas in order for us to actually be a true uh, solution to touring theatres' needs, yeah. there's so many thousands of people out there touring all the time at all of these hundreds of theater venues, we have to get to a certain point before we can actually say we mm. are a solution. And so, so it's almost like being dragged the, there. The business, the, the business is dragging you yeah. Yeah, to the side. Rather than say, oh, we, we do 10% of the tours for the UK. We're like, no, actually, we want to, we want to be able to 
everybody to be able to book through us and yeah know, know especially if you feel like yours is the best solution as well to yeah. that problem so yeah you want but to this, address this work in other countries as well so could you move over to european countries to do a similar model we are looking at that so that's 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 on the on the uh, plan and as is moving into other areas outside of theater so film and tv people which we don't currently service and musicians okay. and people who aren't involved with theater so there is definitely scope for that the, the, the odd thing is that we uh, generally speaking the uk is anyone's are the only people that have this massive industry of touring theatre and don't really support them in the way that we should by making them book their own accommodation. Most other producers in most of the countries will book you your accommodation for you and include it in your pay yeah. or they'll give you a decent So there's problems are UK specific? Uh, yeah, not, ev- not entirely true. There are places in a certain size uh, performances, so there's definitely scope there. But um, I still feel that they're kind of we've got a way to go to get the, the system right and we're really close to that now. It's then before it becomes... Um, yeah, we well, look at other expand. verticals as well, potentially. Then definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's been it's been a big, big, big education, and I haven't and and up until last year, I was doing fifty plus gigs a year, still performing in still, on yeah. theatres. And this is the first year where I've finally completely is turned away from being a side hustle and become my full. Do you, do you job. kind of do you kind of miss though the performing or I do, it, I do a little bit, uh, and I've only so got your identity five was this around. Year. I assume your identity would have been around being a performer or yeah. yeah but so. in the time I started this, I've got married and had two kids, and that those things touring and performing and it's always oh, yeah it's more of a challenge well with <laughs> yeah with family <laughs> life yeah it's lovely to come home after work and be yeah being home home time for the kids. And not be on tour, yeah. Bath and bed, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And not be in a sound check or some weather spoons and all sorts. How it usually rolls, yeah. Other pub chains are available. <laughs> one thing I just wanted to ask about before we sort of um, finish. You, you said the original version was done by you and a guy in the back of a van. Yeah. So does that guy still do your development? Or no, because he, he selfishly uh, took up surfing and moved to uh, Sydney. Uh, okay. Very <laughs> shortly after that, so we're not using it. was an amazing climber, but he, he he fell in love with surfing and got really good at that, and lived on the beach. Uh, so he disappeared and left me with a framework which is really hard to build on. So we we're building Ruby on Rails, okay. and there are it's very hard to find good Ruby on Rails developers, uh, but there's lots of other developers out there. So if we'd have built on PHP or C plus plus or something like that, we'd have been it'd been much right. easier. Instead, we're left uh, okay. with the most expensive. Basically, type of event. So we we have great. Uh, we've had gone through a series of developers over the years, and now got a really good uh, develop, uh, senior developer, and we're hiring for a new one. Are you not you not thinking about rebuilding it in a different language, or is it too complex? Is it? To it's do too that complex now. now. Yeah. I think I think if I was uh, I can see the pound signs rolling. I know. We, we, well, we did do that. We we went from ASP.NET to whatever to PHP. Wow. You know. Yeah. Was it? It was. It's difficult though. Yeah, it's I, difficult. I, think I, won't, I won't advise it. You know, <laughs> it never normally works, does it? So don't do it. But yeah, no, I think we are looking for we we are hiring that. for a new uh, senior Ruby on Rails developer. So anyone listening? Oh yeah, yeah, there will be developers listening. Oh, we do, to we this do have shit, a lot of developers so. listening to the podcast. So. Yeah, absolutely. No agencies need apply. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah. lovely exorbitant agency fees. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well. Um, actually, um, start that bit again. So, if you're going to give some advice to anyone looking to start a business, this is, this is kind of the uh, what advice would you give someone? Especially as a side who's hustle, at the, yeah. Who's at the beginning? It's yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? I, I, people say if you were to do it again, what would you do differently? And I th- I'd say I wouldn't do it again because I had no idea how hard it was, and it was <laughs> it has been really hard, and it has become my life, my wife's life, even my kids, every every um, present I bring them back has got Theatre Diggs Booker on it because it's some kind of free uh, <laughs> handout that I've been given somewhere. And my, my daughter, who's four, just loves pens and notepads, so that's what she loves it. Um, but uh, don't think about the big picture, I would say, too much. I'd say think about how you want to spend your time. So I think um, uh, I, I would never have ever taken an office job and that is what I've ended up doing but I know there's an end point to that I know that I can take myself out of that become CEO and uh, even become non-exec to the point where I it can run as itself um, but think about um, if you're going to be putting a lot of your time and effort and relationships and everything into this thing potentially hopefully hopefully not if it is a side hustle it could just be 
literally four hours a week mm. and that's it. Don't ever get it get any bigger than that and be really happy with that. But if it does grow, be think, be if you're gonna put yourself on that path, make sure that's a path you want to be heading towards. I think it's something there's some saying, isn't there? I think it's Stephen Covey that says, um, make sure you're if you're climbing a ladder, it's up against the right wall. Right. Yeah, that's no, a terrible that's, paraphrasing. No, I think that's, that's great advice. I think that really is 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 you know you've got to you've got to do something you enjoy. Else, there's no point. It's or have you know believe in or believe in the project. You know, like you said, yeah. you, there's a real value to what you're doing, so you believe I mean, in the I mission. Guess, don't I guess you? the route you've taken because I mean, obviously you're, you're growing into what I'd now call a proper company. Yeah. You know, with people and processes and products and yeah. pensions. <laughs> pensions. In the tech space, a lot the way a lot of people do that is they you know they go for the seed funding and they go for you know, more seed funding and then VC funding. But as you've not done that, you've you kept it purely bootstrapped and grown organically. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple of rounds of funding, but only at really key moments, and only given one lot of um, uh, of the business away, any shares away. Um, the second time, it was um, just just a, just a straightforward uh, interest loan. Uh, cash loan and but that was literally just to fund the next stage the next bit of development you didn't, you didn't exchange equity for that didn't exchange, no, yeah, didn't yeah, exchange yeah, equity yeah so uh, but yeah it's uh, has been it's been, meant that it's been a lot slower and had anybody wanted this space they could have easily competed early on yeah. if they'd have spotted it whereas most of the time when you're going for the seed funding you're, you're going for land grab aren't you you're trying yeah. to get that was the investment was that angel investment or what was it institutional or what, what uh, it was uh, angel no it was um, uh, uh, I, uh, in, in an industry uh, a, a company that's in an industry similar to mine or in, in the theatre industry and they just had a particular interest in wanting to see it succeed yeah and they came to me which is unheard of. Okay. You know, they yeah, said, we'd like yeah. to lend you some money to see you get a bit better, which uh, again is, shows my lack of business acumen that I hadn't been out trying to get funding up until then. <laughs> Things got a too. lot easier, a lot quicker once we got our first bit of money. That That's where that paid for our booking system. And that's when the system just... Right. Yeah, because I've always, always been sort of anti-funding, you know, but I, I don't know. You know, it depends, doesn't it, on the circumstances and like if, you, if it enables you to get to where you need to go, you know, sometimes that's the only option, isn't it? Or, yeah. Or it gets and you there quicker, you can, doesn't it? Yeah, if, you, if you're a competitor and, you know, you can see someone's doing it really slowly, you can, you can grab some... You can say, well, someone else has proven the concept over there, but if you give me some cash, I'll overtake them massively, then... Um, then you know that mm. they will do that. Whereas if you've taken taken some funding and you've got the land grab, then it's much harder. I guess that's a big piece of advice: is don't don't worry too much about the competitors along the way. People will come and come and go, and I've absolutely panicked about it um, right. as I've gone. But if you keep going, and that you know, hopefully you're not up against a behemoth. You know, I can't say that Airbnb is a competitor with completely different spheres, but they, um, there have been other smaller competitors come along who, who have taken all my energy and focus away from my business. Or actually, if I just carried on and left them, yeah. they've yeah. come along. I, I was saying to Steve earlier, it's, um, it's about focusing on, you know, serving your customers, isn't it? And not worrying about competitors. But, you know, you've just got to concentrate on your little, you know, keeping your customers happy and doing yes. your this job. Yes, was a question in the last episode. Right? Yeah, that's, that was one of the questions deal about deal competitors. And, yeah. And um, we, we say exactly the same as keep what going. You just said, yeah, yeah head down yeah. and keep going. And and if it is that does does seem like you need to, you know, adjust, then take that decision very carefully, you know, because if you can just keep going, then chances are they will come and go. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, well thank you. Pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having and, me. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's been quite cool sort of seeing the company grow. As I said, you know, we we used to sit next to each other in the uh, co-working space. Yeah. Yeah, whereas I'm, I'm still just working by myself. <laughs> yeah, me too. Just how I want to keep it. No, exactly. Like, whereas and, uh, you've grown. It's enviable in many ways. You know, you haven't got HR issues and uh, appraisal forms to fill in and this kind of stuff. I, I used to hate that. Yeah. I absolutely hate it. Actually, you said about the funding, actually, just, just reminded me. The last company I was working at before I went to work for myself was going down that sort of traditional sort of funding startup yeah. route, you know, the Silicon Valley style route. Yeah. And they, and they started getting venture capitalist funding in. Then you start having these new board members pop onto the board. And then overnight, it's like the entire dynamic of the company changes from fun startup where everyone's having fun to yeah. these suits being parachuted into the <laughs> And systems yeah. and processes and all those kind of I things. I think it does worry, yeah, do you lose some of the fun, you know, get from going from a small 
you know, a small business to a, a much larger one that has to have all the processes and has to follow yeah. processes. At, at, at the point yeah. I left, the last company, they'd just gone through the big VC rounds, several VC rounds that failed. Perhaps, the perhaps one that actually paid off for them. Yeah. But then the, the whole dynamic of the company changed. And perhaps, it's, perhaps it's important to try and keep the culture, isn't it, as you grow, you know, to keep something yeah. that, that's part of the, 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 the Simon, I think that uh, actually right back to the first uh, question, was it Sarah, uh, said, um, you know, what, what, what's when you're first starting out, what you know, good advice, I think, really early on is um, watch the Simon Sinek um, start with why uh, uh, yes. TED talk and that get that really firmly in your head. You know, don't think about the product um, and, and what you do, think about why you do it, what is the, the solution. And for a long time, we said we we find accommodation for touring professionals, where actually that's now changed since watching that video to, uh, we believe that working away from home should be the highlight of your career, and we provide a set of features that make it easier okay, than ever yeah. for touring professionals to find accommodation. So suddenly it's become it's become a thing, it's become a, it's a reason. And then that, that then gives you your, if you've got your clear why, and, you, and it takes a while to get there, and we're still not 100% there, but it's getting, getting closer, Every decision you make then goes through that filter. Does yeah, this fit our why? It's, it's funny you should it say that. Yeah, I, I mean, don't want VCs because um, I don't want to ever get to the point where I'm getting told what to it do. Doesn't meet. It. Yeah, it's good when you have. A, I mean, we're trying to work. Think about our, control, our, yeah. our values. So, for example, ours is like kind of democrat. I can't say democratization of like knowledge or or kind of or something something along that kind of lines. You know. So, for example, now we get, we start offering like um, when people buy our annual plan, we do like a sort of free training session as part of than buying the annual plan, you know, yeah. but that was easy to make that decision because it was kind of part of our thing about spreading knowledge, you know, as our yeah. core value, you know. Yeah, and if you've got those identified, that makes it, yeah. you, you have a sense of purpose then, don't you? Yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah, perhaps I'd say like, it's probably easier to make decisions, isn't it, if you know what you stand for, yeah. you know, or, or whatever, you yeah. know. But it is yeah. hard though, isn't it, to work out what that is, isn't it, you know. It is, and it doesn't necessarily have to be one thing. I know some some companies have a set of values, and I think that's also really worth thinking about. Yeah. And over time, that might narrow down or widen, but at least you should certainly think about that early on, about what it is you are, mm. why mm. why you are doing what you're doing, you know. What is the problem you're trying to solve, or the... Yeah, the, the, the gap you're trying to fill. Uh, okay. You know? uh, yeah. I mean, the end of the show, we do. We normally do a section on recommendations. I'm going to ask Phil. I don't know. It's kind of we're not really not really pre-prepared anything. So, do you have any recommendations for um, our listeners? Or? Only that I've just read the One Minute Manager after being recommended. Uh, being recommended to me, um, and it, it is very good. It is. Um, it's the Ken Blanchard book, isn't it? That's the it's one. Yeah, and it's yeah. the New Minute Manager, uh, which is slightly updated, but only just make it slightly more. Um, PC, I think. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, it, it does have some really good ideas. It's an old book, is it? Then it's, it's, quite, it's it, quite old, and it's now it's. I think it's. I think it's freely available as a PDF, but you, you can buy it anywhere, and it's a, a, a an audio book as well. That does give you some really decent um, guidelines. I'd like to recommend the Four Hour okay. Work Week and anything by Simon Sinek. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So check those out. Um, do your recommendations, Stephen? Or? Yeah, so mine's a documentary on Netflix, and I was kind of smiling earlier when you said about going onto these like desert islands and mm. performing and stuff. Because there's um, <laughs> on Netflix, there's a documentary called Fire: The Greatest Party That Never Happens, and I don't know if you've heard about the Fire Festival. Yeah. So it was set up by this entrepreneur, and they basically they wanted to buy an island in the Bahamas and throw like the biggest, most lavish uh, music concerts. And festival ever. Nice. And they raised tens of millions of dollars in investment. Uh, they got Instagram influencers to donate loads of money, do loads of advertising. There's lush advertising campaigns, you know, <laughs> like bikini babes all running down the beach and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, so they got this island and they're trying to set it all up. But when it actually came to running the festival, they had no infrastructure on the islands. They didn't have all of the properties that they'd actually sold. And for the event, they just had these like storm tents. <laughs> the weather turned really bad. Uh. They they lost a catering contract. All of the acts pulled out. And all while this is going on, they've got guests starting to arrive. I've, I've seen them to, to this remote I think island. Seen who basically, you can imagine they were slightly annoyed. Uh. You know, after spending like you know twenty thousand dollars for a ticket for this thing. And this, this documentary is basically about the whole process of how this party was supposed to be set up oh, and what went wrong, how it yeah. went wrong. And, uh, and yeah. the lessons you can learn. Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, have a backup plan. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and the consequences of uh, ripping people off as well. Yeah. Involve yeah. a small room with a window. <laughs> so, Less, lessons to be learned, I think. Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm not really into these sorts of music festivals and Instagram influencers or anything like that, but the actual story behind what's happening with this festival, I think it's got some really good lessons about how you should treat your customers yeah. and how you should work with investors. Yeah. So that's on that's on Netflix. Yeah, so if you've got I'm going to check that out. Actually, I'm going to add that to my Netflix. It's good. It's so. entertaining as well. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Um, my recommendation is that there's a book I read recently. It's only a very short book, but it's quite interesting. It's about a guy who sold his business. Um, so if you ever want to, I'm not really at that stage, and I probably never will be. But if I ever get to the stage I want to sell my business, it's got like some thought experiments you should go through before you sell your business. Um, so it's sort of like, I think it's quite hard, you know, when you when you sell your business, if you you know because Obviously, you sell it and you get you might get your two million or one million dollars or whatever it is exit. But then it's hard. What do you do next? You know, it's mm. very hard because you don't have a platform to build upon or an audience. It's very hard to start from scratch. You know, and they sort of like run through. Is it better to hire like a, a CEO to run your company for you? There's all these different thought experiments. It's just quite interesting reading. It just makes you think. What's your end goal? And perhaps you should read this film if you ever want to sell up or anything you know yes it's a really it's really it's back good. to that idea of filling the void again isn't it before the void appears try and fill it with all the things you want to do I guess yeah I think I, I think they they give they, they interview um, they look at people that have sold their business a lot of people are quite unhappy about yeah. how it's turned out it's not always turned out how they thought it was going to be you know so I think it's something to think about it very very carefully and how you could do that how you could Perhaps still be involved with the business or sell it or just looking at the different options. It's just something to bear in mind if you if you ever ever want to do that. But yeah, so you should check that out. Deciding whether to sell to Booking.com in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you should, yeah, yeah the should, yeah, should check that book out. It's only a very short book, so it, it doesn't take, take doesn't take too long. But it's it's quite a good book and some good some good thoughts. And somebody who's kind of lived it as well. You know, that's that's important as well. Yeah. So as any listeners are listeners are considering their part-time side hustles they can also think about their future yeah well you know yeah, yeah, yeah i know it's kind yeah. of a bit yeah it's kind of like go from side hustle to selling your business is, is a big step that's a good one yeah, yeah. selling your business success podcast what could happen if, yeah. even then even if people are just running businesses still quite there's still mm. some the thought experiments are still quite useful to go through you know um it's just interesting well, I mean, if, if you take on VC investment you always have to have an exit plan anyway don't you yeah yeah yeah, yeah you, you can. want their money back within seven years Mm. Yeah, and really quickly, uh, another book I read recently was called uh, "Getting to Yes," and okay. it's the a negotiation um, guide, and it's just all about everybody should leave the room reasonably happy, and the, the lot of negotiations aren't don't start that way. Mm. Uh, that's really good. It's based on the Harvard uh, paper, and it's generally the way that most world leaders go and negotiate stuff. Has well, anyone sent a copy to? Our yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone's through some mail. Yeah, so. Oh, we went there with politics. There's yeah. a chance that not everybody has read it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Phil. That's been a really yeah. insightful interview. So, Phil Barley is the founder of Theatre Digs Booker at theatredigsbooker.com. So, uh, go yeah. check it out. Okay. Thanks awesome. for having us.